and people, you know, sorry, she just sat down somewhere and said, let's make something called time so that when people wake up today, we know today is Monday and we have to go to work. When people wake up on this day, we know today is Saturday and we have to sit at home. But then the Bible tells us that God created lights. And these lights were to mark seasons. They were to mark days. They were to mark years. So we know from the Bible that the origin of the concept of time was from God himself. Yes. And we want to ask, why did God put us in time? Why did we have to have time? And then one of the reasons why time is important is listed in um, Psalms 90 verse 4. Psalm 90 verse 4. It's just one. One of the reasons why time is important for our existence. Psalm 90 verse 4. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And can we read it from the King James Version as well? Psalm 90 verse 2. So teach us to number our deeds that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Amen. Hallelujah. So here the psalmist is, is saying a prayer or conversing or talking about and he's saying, teach us to number our deeds. And the NLT version says, teach us to see the brevity of life. One thing that time does is to make us see that we are man, we are human. Time just shows us that we will die one day. That's one thing time does. You wake up morning, evening, morning, evening, then your hair starts to go gray, your hair starts to fall out, your teeth starts to fall out. And then you realize that my end is coming. That's one thing time does. And the psalmist put it this way, that teach us to number our days, teach us to know the times. Um, there are some people who stand in places and say, we are gods, like ye are gods, those kind of things. Those things are good when you are encouraging yourself against demons and Satan and those kind of things, right? to boost your morale. But when you want to look at living life and living as a creation of God and living as a child of God, you have to understand that you must number your kids. The Bible says that, so that we may apply our hearts onto this world. So it's a wise thing to actually know that this is the length of time I have. This time is for this, this time is for that, this time is for that. So that you can apply your heart onto this world. Hallelujah. So, as custom demands, we want to take the meaning of the words that we are just talking about. So what is time? If we call some physics students now, they can define one second for that. But we are not here for that. So time is just a measurable period. It's a measurable period. And in our existence, time is sort of a sequence. We see it as a sequence from past to present to future. It's like a continuum of occurrence or events. That's how we see time. Yeah, it's a measurable period. And then what is the season? Mostly, when I was searching for seasons on Google, what they gave me was winter, summer, spring. Hallelujah. 
I just tell you that we, we have we have a higher search engine which is Google Spirit. He searches and he thinks about it. He knows what we are thinking. Google couldn't understand where I was where I was standing. I was standing in Kumasi and we were taking him to Nigeria. So a season is a period of a year or a period in time which is distinguished by special conditions. So normally climatic conditions. But then even when we put this definition, climatic conditions, the climate affects everything around us. It affects plants, how plants grow, it affects animals, whether they will migrate or not, whether they will mate or not. It even affects humans, seasons. When we learned in psychology telling they told us that in some seasons people are more prone to depression, in some seasons people are more prone to gather, those, those kind of things. So seasons basically affect everything, but these are descriptions from the dictionary. Hallelujah. So when we look at time, when we say times and we say time, we are basically talking about the same thing. So when we say time, we can look at it in two in two categories. There's the chronological time, which is seconds to minutes to days to months to eons to eons, those kind of things. That is chronological time, which is called chronos. That's where the word chronology comes from, chronos. And then there's another kind of time which is called Kairos. And Kairos basically means opportunity or the opportune time or the specific time. So let's look at Kairos in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 and then we'll read verse 16 as well. For everything there is a season a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Can we please be present? I also noticed that under the sun, there's evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are totalitarian. I wanted us to read the 16 because we refer to it subsequently. So, there's the main uh, time to time to antithesis, not antithesis, but the opposite sort of way of putting together are just examples of the um, time for every season Ecclesiastes was talking about. And these are this is what we call as Kairos, the opportune time. 
There are other examples in the Bible where we see Kairos, like in Mark 14, verse 11. This is sort of a bad example for Kairos. But the Bible says, so Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. When you read this in the original text, this is Judas looking for a Kairos moment where he would betray Jesus. And there are other examples of Kairos um, when you look at the story of David and Goliath. When David went to give food to his brothers and he found an opportunity, an opportune time where he could battle against another enemy. Yes, and then there's also a story of Joseph before Pharaoh when he was taken out of prison to um, interpret the king's dream. That was another Kairos moment. And there's, there's um, something about looking at these three stories. There's something about their Kairos moments that we would want to look at as well. So for each of them, you can see that in their Kairos moments, they were not first times. That's one thing we have to note, that there are some things we have to do before our Kairos moments. When you look at Joseph, for instance, he had interpreted the dreams of people in the past, and those interpretations were right. So he was exercising his skill, exercising his gifts, before his Kairos moment. When you look at the story of David and Goliath, um, David was killing bears and lions in in the in the wilderness before his Kairos moment. So they had already gained mastery before their Kairos moment. That's one thing that we have to take note of. I can imagine David standing before Goliath and throwing the first stone and missing. Can you imagine? What would have happened to David? Right now, he really gave me a baby Bible. Yeah, but he had gained mastery such that he was confident enough to, to um, realize his Kairos moment as the opportune time to show force. Judas also, it was recorded that previously he was not clean, not clean in the sense that. He had his own treacherous activities, treacherous business that he was um, handling the pests. The, well, how do I put it? How do I do this? Okay. So, Judas, even from our, our text, he was looking for an opportunity to be betrayed, Jesus. And he had planned beforehand. So, when he went to see the Pharisees and Sadducees, he made out his plan to them and he told them that the person that I will kiss. So they had already put down a scheme of how things will go on that day. So when he gets his Kairos moment, when he gets that opportune time, this and this and that is what I will do. I will walk to the person and kiss the person. That's the person. So the Kairos moment was not the time when he was not going to think about what to do. Right. So these are things that we, we have to take note of. The Kairos moment is a time for business. If you flop, then you will be in trouble. Just like the story of David and Goliath. If David had been killed in the house of that day, it would have been something else for all of us, for all the believers in the world. Amen. And the Kairos moment is also not a time to complain. Because of the story of Joseph. Joseph was in prison for two extra years. 
even as um, after he had interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and those people, they were supposed to remember him. But then the Bible says in the beginning chapter, I think it's chapter 14 or so, I'm not sure, that he stayed for extra two years. Some of us, if we were to be the ones in front of the king, that they would be like, King, there are some two people that I helped two years ago that didn't remember me. And I'm telling you, to be honest, very quickly, that is Joseph standing before the king. Neither of you to interpret that you complaining and telling the king that this is very painful. So you should look for the capillaries and do something to them for him because of opportunities. But that's not what he did. He saw the Kairos moment as a time for business. I'm here to interpret dreams and give solutions. One, two, three. And he did that. So the Kairos moment is not a time to complain. It's a time for business. And you have to gain mastery before the Kairos moment. And let's read something from Genesis chapter 49, verse 40 to 50. And this talks about the sons of Issachar. Verse 15. When he sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land, he will bend his shoulder to the Lord and submit himself to Hanibal. Hallelujah. And let's read First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. We'll come back to this shortly. Verse 32. But you let's read 23 first. 12, 23 first. So, these are the numbers of the armed warriors who joined David at Hebron. Now, let's go to verse 32. Take note of something. The Bible said that these are the numbers of armed warriors. Because of time, we won't read the whole thing. And it says, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Now please let's go back to Genesis chapter 49 verse 14. So one thing I noticed when you have time you can read the whole of first Chronicles chapter 12. You find one thing that all the tribes that were listed they gave us their strength. These people are skilled with sword. These people are good um, Workmen, these people are good with a particular kind of weapon. And one thing I found surprising was when they go to the child of Isaac, they didn't tell us anything about the child of Isaac. They just told us that they brought their leaders, and the leaders brought their relatives. Can you imagine? Whilst they are naming other tribes, they are naming their soldiers, they are naming their armed skilled men. The child of Issachar is bringing their leaders. And their leaders are having their relatives. I can imagine someone bringing his wives, his, his in-law, his mother-in-law to the war, to the war, to where we are, we are preparing for war. But these people didn't have an issue because they understood the times and seasons. That was their skill. That was what they were armed with. So, the Bible in, in verse 15 of this 
the same people we read about who understood the times and seasons, and that was classified as their skill for war. The Bible says that when they see how good the countryside is, they will bend their shoulder to the Lord and submit themselves to hard labor. They will submit themselves to hard labor. So meeting your Kairos moment or seeing the opportunity is not the time to celebrate. It is the time to submit yourself to hard labor. These people are people who understood the times and understood the seasons. And one of the opportunities they got when they saw the countryside, they submitted themselves to hard labor. So what to do in your Kairos moment is to submit yourself to hard labor. Hallelujah. So we talked about the Kronos and then the Kairos. The Kairos is the opportune time. And the Kairos is a defining moment. A defining moment is such that whatever happens in the Kairos will have a prolonged effect on the age of one. We can go back to the stories of the three Kairos moments that we talked about. Judas, Joseph, and David. Each of them, their lives changed after the Kairos moment. For each of them, Joseph's Kairos moment was his turning point. He met someone, this day he was in prison, the next day he was in prison. David and Goliath. After killing Goliath, that was his Kairos moment. That was his time of his showing for, for David. And for Judas, as we've already said, it was a bad example of the Kairos. But we also see, I don't know how to call it a spirit of repression or oppression, just fell on him and he committed suicide along the line. That was a Kairos moment that we should not emulate in the real. Yes. And some people will ask, so some people will say that, so if God created the sun for seasons and for times. Those who look at the lights, like the stars and then the moon and then the horoscopes and those things, are they wrong? Someone would really ask that question because the Bible says that God created the great lights to mark of seasons and days and times and days. And even in the Old Testament, time was important. They used the sun to tell the time. And then they used the moon to determine some annual feasts and those kind of things. So time was important. They were watching the stars and the wise men even followed a star to the location where Jesus was. At the time when there was no Jesus. So, they have a case, don't they? Don't they have a case? I will watch my horoscope. My horoscope says, today I should smile to everyone I meet because I may find something good. I don't want to use words that people smile. But, is that right? <laughs> so, back to this. There is a sun here. Even this verse, some people will want to take it as 
Because the next verse is when God created the sun. So what did God create? But that's for another day. But let's read Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. And then we want to make a case for the New Testament movement. Malachi chapter 4 says, The Lord of heavens amid sins. The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked. Let's go to verse 3, sorry. Verse 12. Sorry. I'm looking for the verse that says that the son of righteousness will not be feeling in the streets. Verse 2. Sorry, it's verse 2. Not verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Look at the spelling of the son. Then look at the pronoun. In his wings. I was expecting the S O N of righteousness to arise. With healing in its or is it that they change the O and put it? No, is it that they change the his and put it or change the sun and put and leave it? Are we are we okay with But then but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. I didn't know the sun in the sky had a pronoun called his. I only know it's French that does whether I like it or not boy with them. For all their objects, even the table is, is called me, whether I like it or not. But then this is English, and it says the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, even with joy, like how to let out of the pasture. The preceding verse was talking about judgment. And this verse is talking about a son who is righteous. So, what is this son of righteousness? Let's read Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. But then, God will open that. Once Jesus again was in a situation where they wanted to judge someone, just like the preceding verse of this verse 4, where was a whole situation of judgment, judgment, and then the Son of Righteousness just arises like that, with healing in his wings. In John chapter 8, verse 12, there was a situation where a woman was caught in a dungeon, and the Pharisees and Sadducees brought it to Jesus Christ. And they said, Moses said you should kill me. So what did you say? So they wanted to pay a death of Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't come to kill people. He came that you have So after Jesus made them know that they are not righteousness, they 
are not the Son of Righteousness. He went on to say that He is the light of the world. So that Jesus was perceived, like, how can anyone be the light? I can imagine Jesus standing and preaching and saying that. I am a king. In John, I don't know where Jesus is John, but Jesus once said that he is a dog. You enter through him going and out to find pasture. How can you say you are a dog? You are a human being. You will say that. How can you say you are light? You are a human. How can you say you are a brain? How can you be a brain? It's a way you get a thing. The world is not a thing. But here Jesus is saying that John gave the soul. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. But you have the light that leads to life. Jesus is light. Sometimes I'm meant to take things as they are. Jesus says he is light. And then the verse I wanted us to read in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. For a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. And that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will be saved. So when I superimpose this verse on the scenario that happened in John, the woman will read this and say that on this day I was saved because I met a descendant from the tribe, a descendant of David, whose name was righteousness. And on this day I was saved. But Jesus is righteousness, and Jesus says he is light. And then you read the verse in Malachi that says, the son of righteousness. So we can see that there are two sons. There's a son that we look up in the sky and then we see. And then there's another son of righteousness, who is Jesus Christ. So the people who are in the world will wake up and look at the sun and look at the lesser lights, the moon and then the stars and say, I am reading my horoscope. But we have the Son of Righteousness, who says he's always with us. And what better thing is there than to have the creator of the creation be another light that you can ask for directions instead of horoscope. So when you see someone who says, I'm checking my horoscope because God created us, you tell the person, that there's a natural sun which is the center of creation but then there is the sun of righteousness who is the center of truth and who is the only way to true freedom as we saw in Malachi chapter from the 16. So I want us to see the importance of time. Some people are so, now what is the season? And one thing I like to say that seasons are very common on the first night. The first night is when you enter a church and then the pastor has come with a new team for the day. My year of divine victory. 
my year of plentiful happiness, my year of this, that, like all those kind of things. All those things are to let the members know that there's a season that we are entering into, which is marked by a period of time, which is 365 days. So my year of this, to know that there's a season. So for our church like this, We've been in a season for the past five years. And this season is possessing the nations. It's a season where God has called us to go out in every field we find ourselves, business, education, health, politics, and to win people for Christ, and to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. So there are broad seasons and then there are specific seasons. As we said, the season is a period of time which is distinguished by special conditions. So, why is a season important? Or why are times important? Seasons are to remind us that we are transiting. So when you take a climate, for instance, let's use the weather as a season. You will not always be in the rainy season, or you will not always be in the dry season. It sort of it goes and it comes around. So God created seasons for us to know that we are always transiting, we are always on the move. But then, which season are we in now? There is a broad season, there is a broad time that the Bible puts before us, that we all know that we are. And the Bible calls it the last days. So for us, the broad season we are in, the broad times we are in, the last days. And this is confirmed from when you read so many things. First, you will teach chapter 2. You see all the characteristics of these times, these seasons. Let's say, first Corinthians, first Timothy, sorry, chapter 3. That people will be lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God, all those things. I just to tell us that we are transiting, that we are transiting, and that we are not supposed to be at one place. And I used to ask myself, why do we have seasons? Why can't everything just work as well? For instance, you go to the market and they give you one tomato, you say one tomato is things. Because tomato is not easy. So why can't someone grow the tomatoes when they know that you need some of this How does it work? I've asked myself that question several times. But then I got to realize that different times respond to different conditions. Let me explain this. So using plants again. When you put rice in the dry season, it will not grow. When you plant your rice in the dry season, it will not grow. Why? Because the humidity is low. Rice needs a lot of humidity. The temperature is too high. It won't survive. And that is why rice will wait for the rain before it grows. And then the time when it is due for harvest, so say rice is 
So the different plants respond to different times or different seasons. And when you take purple, purple gets ripe in the dry season. And then people will say, you are my habitat purple. Because that is when the flavor of the purple is weeping out. Because it is a dry And it comes back to understanding our identity as people in Christ. One reason also why God created time is so that we won't compare ourselves to each other, but we'll compare ourselves against a certain standard. Like when you say Moses is training, he trains to beat time. Because for him, no one is a standard anymore. So he trains to beat time. That is one reason why God created time. Like the lady who just did that battle, and she cooked for 100 hours. At a Kairos moment when she was at 86 hours, competing closely with the person who held that record, she passed the Kairos moment and now she was competing against time herself. She was no longer competing against anyone. So God in his wisdom knew that people can compete and compare themselves to others up to a point. But when you are now the standard, what do you compare against? You compare against yourself and you compare against time. So that's one importance of time. It helps us to reckon or race with ourselves. To influence us positively. So you say something like, I beat the time. Because no one is standard anymore. We are beating time. Yeah. So the importance of time. One thing that I realized also from the reading is light and time and wisdom are always moving together. Light and time and wisdom. Even as we have um, agreed or seen that Jesus Christ is light, literally, as if he is a son of righteousness, we should also look at this light as a light that expels darkness. A light that expels darkness. And anything that is exposed to the light of Christ. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it. So anything that is before God, as we saw in Malachi, that those that fear God will look up to the Son of Righteousness who has given his ways. So for me, so we can see that being close to God, being close to the light, being in time and having wisdom are all sentences or structures that are very close to each other. So the more you are with Christ, the more you become wise, the more you gain wisdom to live as a creature or a son of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So we've seen the importance of time to help us to be wise. And it helps us to appreciate the gravity of life. That we are human, as we said earlier. And it helps us to reckon our ways with ourselves. And it reminds us that we are transiting. That this place is not the end. I remember one time people were arguing that man is eternal and God is eternal. 
And that was not the point of the argument. They were arguing that eternity means without end only. And the beginning doesn't matter. This is something that we'd like to point out as well. They were saying that man is eternal, even though man has a beginning time. And God is eternal because God is not in time, so doesn't have a beginning, it doesn't have an end. And I was wondering if one word can have two definitions. But that's not the focus for our talk today. So we would like to conclude and then pray shortly. And we'll read a conclusion from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17. Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. And we'll also read the last words of Paul after reading Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, like, like those who are wise. Can we have it in the amplified version? Can we have it in the amplified version? Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily, worthily, okay, accurately. Not as unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. Verse 16. Making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days are even. Verse 16. Can we see it in the NLT as well? Make the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. And quickly we'll look at Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4 in the NLT version. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the women. So I want us to take note of the words of wisdom. And please let's look at this in the kingdom session. Or you can do together. The Lord has given me the tongue of the man that I should know how to speak the word in season to him that is well. Hallelujah. And looking at 2 Timothy as well, where Paul was said to be given his last words, he told Timothy, he reminded him that we are in the last days. And that he should be ready to preach the word of God in season and out of season. And I think this as a very strong advice for all believers. And as I have the Bible was saying that the, the Lord has given us the time of the need, and we should know how to speak the word in season, which means that you can speak a word out of season, but you probably be saying what you should be saying. But at the wrong time. Yeah, it's, 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 very, it's, it's very possible. Like, you can console someone this morning, and then the same thing you say to the person this morning, if you had said it yesterday, the person will fight with you. If someone uses a dear friend today, and one month later, I'm telling the person, oh, you know what, people die, it's normal. 
if you had said that on the first day the person had lost someone very special. They could they could go to this, they could go to the movie or go to the party. But in a season where the person has cooled off and has understood what has happened and has accepted it as part of life, you can go and say the same words which would have caused trouble earlier. And the person take it as normal. So the Bible is telling us that God has given us the tongue of the land that we should speak the word in season to him that is worthy. So this will make us understand that we ourselves have to know which word is the word in season. And many of these things you can't do if you are not connected to the Son of Righteousness, who is the center of all truth, and who left us with the person of the Holy Spirit. So shortly, we would like to pray. We would like to close our eyes. Even as we stand to our feet. We are thanking God that we have heard today about the types of time that He has taught us about Kairos and He has taught us about Kronos. Many times, we will not have those big Kairos as David and Joseph have, but our Kairos moments are the times where we stand before people to justify our inclusion. Yeah. And um, when we stand before God, God has given us your own. We will not find ourselves wanting that we will align with God for every season of our lives, that we will not be found wanting, that we will not miss what God wants us to achieve at any particular point in time. We want to pray to God that, oh God, I will not miss my Kairos moments. And I will not miss those opportunities that you give to me to share your love with people. Those times when you breathe a civil environment for the word of God to flow. May I be able to preach in season and out of season. May I be able to seize every opportunity for your glory. We are praying to God and all God, I will be able to appreciate my current moments. That I will understand what these seasons are for. That I will not take for granted the grace of God that has been given to me. 
The Lord said He will restore the years that the locust the anchor world has eaten. God didn't restore property, He didn't restore people, but He restored the the And if there are seasons that we have been using, we don't have we are praying to God to restore our days. Lord, to pray to God to restore our days. And 